Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and Ellie. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. And I'm Chris Delano. And now it's you. Oh, sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm Akemi Don Bowman. Uh, so we have Akemi with us here today uh, because she was the author of the Kamigawa uh, Neon Dynasty stories. Uh, so first of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm an author. I write uh, mostly young adult and middle grade. Um, uh, Infinity Courts is the series that came out most recently, and I've written the stories for uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Excellent. Um, so we have Akemi here with us today to, to talk a little bit about the story, because uh, I think this is a story... Uh, especially recently, that has really reignited a lot of interest in magic story, uh, both for the um, the content and because people just generally enjoyed the story, enjoyed the characters. Uh, so let's ask you first, how familiar were you with Magic the Gathering before you started work on the story with Wizards? So not actually super familiar, which is I hope that doesn't get me in trouble. Um, I knew I knew the cards when I was uh, a kid, um, I think in the 90s, and I used to collect Pokemon cards. I had Magic cards as well, uh, but wasn't um, didn't kind of keep following it over the years, um, which I think was sort of a good thing, because I think if I realized how massive and expansive this um, multiverse was, I think I would have been completely like uh, unable to write this. I think I would have panicked. Um, oh, it's terrifying. So, yeah, like, terrifying, terrifying. Um, so I kind of went into this like just being very excited and being like, oh, this will be really cool. And then after I wrote it, Googled stuff, and I was like, oh my gosh, I hope I don't disappoint the world. <laughs> but yeah. No, don't worry. I think a lot of the better magic writers that we've had uh, are generally not pre-existing fans or only have more like a casual familiarity of it. Because again, like when you're familiar with it and you're like, oh man, there's like so much going on there. It's harder. It can be harder to like focus on the specifics of what you're doing in this pocket. Uh, so speaking of that, what was the process like for you as an author working with this 30-year-old IP, uh, especially returning to this setting that Magic hadn't been to in 18 years, but that had a lot of this like... Um, cachet in the community yeah it was it was a lot of fun um i mean i was working with like they have such a, a cool team who were working on this project um and it felt so collaborative uh which was really really nice i feel like i got included in like some of the things a bit which was just kind of cool um so yeah it was it was just really nice and it, it feels um like i don't i don't want this to sound cheesy but it feels like meaningful because i feel like this, this matters to like so many people in like such a nice cool way that it actually felt like really nice to put something out there that was like really for other people. You know what I mean? It wasn't, I'm used to writing books that are just like sort of in my head and they're like, you know, abstract diaries or whatever. And so it, it feels, it feels different. This felt like a lot more just nice and, and like happy and joyous. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, fulfilling is a word that hits that feeling, uh, a similar feeling yeah. pretty well for me. It, it's uh, it's just, uh, it's, a, like, it's just a cool thing to do. It's like, Hey, I did this cool thing and people like the cool thing and it's this big cool thing. And that's just neat. So yeah. you're saying it's a cool thing. Did you did you do a lot of research or like reading of past things or did you sort of let the the collaboration guide you through it? Yeah, I kind of went into this with like obviously very fresh eyes for not really uh, being familiar with um you know, any of the previous stories, but I, I got this like massive world guide that got sent to me um, when they brought me on to, to help write these. 
Um, and it had so many details about the world, about all the different, um, you know, species within it and the different types of people and the different like kind of um, groups that you have. And it was just, it, I definitely read that so many times, like back to front to try to make sure I, I understood the, you know, the politics and the dynamics and all these different things. Um, and so that was really helpful. And then, but then as far outside of that, I didn't read too much of the other stuff because I sort of felt like this story is so much of like, you know, Kaito experience, you're, you're learning about his life, aren't you? And, um, and being introduced to this world for the first time, you know, in this new way. Um, so I felt like it kind of made sense for me to be writing this as like, you know, with that sort of like first, first eyes on it, you know? Um, I did look up, so Tamio and Tezzeret, I did pull up some of their old stories, though, because I needed to get their voices down, and I wanted to make sure I was, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> still um, writing in line with how they kind of spoke and sounded in, in previous stories. So I did do that. Uh, so what was it like? You kind of got a unique experience here, and maybe you you, you can't answer this question because uh, you haven't worked on a ton of pre-existing characters. Uh, but what was it like being the first writer to bring like Kaido to life in the multiverse? And really, this was Kaido's story with the other characters involved, but he was the primary driver. That's not something we've seen for a while as having like a completely fresh perspective being the main driver of a story. Uh, and how much input did you have in like uh, defining Kaido's voice and his creation um, and his personality, things like that? It was like the most fun part. I think it was it was just so cool um, to be able to kind of like come at like again with like, you know, this fresh kind of um, take on this character. Um, I think we mentioned like before we started recording about how much like I love Kaito, but he's just such a fun character to write. Um, I think that when uh, the first kind of notes, the initial notes that that I had for him, it was like very just um, like kind of simple. I think that they said that he was supposed to be um, kind of like have this like cool vibe, but sarcastic. Um, and that was sort of it. Like he was sort of like that kind of morally gray, I guess, um, you know, with his heart in the right place. And and so I, I sort of just took that and expanded on it, I guess. Um, I always kind of saw this world too as like a sort of like spirited away meets like, you know, the cyberpunk stuff. And so to me, that's like, it has heart, but it's also really cool. And so I wanted Kaito to kind of represent that. I think you I think you hit that pretty, pretty solidly. Kaito definitely comes off as a character who has like, like, we keep calling him like, he's a good boy. He's he's got a big <laughs> heart. He's very much, you know, like, a really yeah. nice person. And also, like, he fits so well into this sort of cyberpunk aesthetic futuristic vibe where it's like, all about technology, but not in like a tech bro way, but like in an actual like, you know, everyday use way. Yeah, one yeah, one of the things I really liked about him um, as a character uh, that, uh, you know, the, the thing that that clicked into him when I was writing him for Arena is that um, we have a cyberpunk inspired world and he is mm -hmm. uh, in some ways our cyberpunk hero. And and in other ways is our kind of scoundrel with a heart of gold, but but neither of those archetypes yeah. quite hit on him because he's just not cynical. Like like he he just genuinely has hope that things are going to be able to like have solutions, and and he's very dedicated to finding them. And um, mm -hmm. like <laughs> like like he it's not it's like I don't want to say he's not tough. <laughs> Because, like, there are aspects of him that are very gritty and tough. He's grown up as an orphan in a world that has been very harmful to him. Uh, he has a lot of street smarts. He's a survivor. He's, it's not that he's not tough. It's that uh, the toughness 
balances out this just very soft and caring side um, that that comes out every now and then and drives a lot of his actions too. And he's just he's just such a charming young man. Uh, what a good boy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He has he he's very emotional, like deep down. Um, you know, he's loyal and and he loves his friends. Um, and will kind of do anything. And and I always I like too that he he's very overconfident sometimes, <laughs> like. <laughs> failure sometimes like um like too overconfident but but never in a way that you like look at him and think like oh what a punk he's so egotistical you know it's not mm -hmm. like that it's like almost it's just this like really endearing like he just tries so hard <laughs> it's uh that, that's a really hard line to walk like from a writing perspective of uh of of being cool and being overconfident but not being a jackass and like still being likable and and it's like I mean this is this is part of why like I, I kind of struggled with him at first is he's he's he has a lot of God uh, he's walking a lot of lines uh, in in his personality uh, and and in that kind of cyberpunk ninja way of he he's he's kind of creeping very closely around uh, corners of things where things could be bad for him. But like he ends up being a good person anyway, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, he's just he's just great. I just love him. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're all we're we all vote good boy on Kaido. Yeah, and I I just enjoyed your your writing of him so much, uh, especially the the whole recurring snacks thing because there's a there's a line I had put into his script totally independently about snacks and i'm like the the first snack line uh, the the opening when he's creeping through the kitchen in his origin story and i'm just like oh my god what a good happy coincidence coincidence that we just like kind of both honed in on oh kaido's definitely a snacker right it's great i love that <laughs> yeah that's really cool yeah that's how i i just pictured him as like the person who will show up to a party if there's food oh absolutely <laughs> <I feel like. laughs> no it, it was great because you know as a youth he was learning these skills but he was using these skills to you know steal steal mochi or something along <laughs> yeah. the way which was great which is admirable uh, in fact kind of related to the previous question can you tell us a little bit about the development of himoto or um pompon chan uh and how this, this kami of the spark came to be i think in the initial um sort of uh plan for the story that was sent over um there wasn't a whole lot uh about himoto in it um the, it, she didn't even have a name at the time it was like really early on and i think that there was just um he kaito always had his mask and i think that there was a note in there that just referenced that um that there would have been something to do with the mask and the kami um, kind of bonded at some point, which set off his spark. And that was sort of the only thing that was told to me at the time. Um, and then I got brought on because I wrote the first five stories first, and then they brought me on to do the origin stories after. Um, so then when I got the notes for that, and then kind of Himoto became a bigger character. Um, so it kind of went backwards in that sense. But yeah, uh, I don't think she was supposed to necessarily have like a massive role. She just ended up being really adorable to write, I think. And then <laughs> mixed mixed with obviously the robot version. Um, and I think it was just like a cute visual to have these two little adorable creatures like kind of interacting. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think I, if I'm remembering or understanding correctly, I think that's when they decided to give her a name because they felt like she was just too cute to not name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, and so that that's kind of how she came to be. I mean, she she's literally that confluence of of the um the the Miyazaki and and the cyberpunk, right? 
yes. <laughs> she she definitely has a very big following. People people love our little Robo Tanuki friend. Oh, that makes me happy. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so moving on from her, although she's great, uh, let's talk about uh, Aiko, uh, Kaido's sister. So mm-hmm. she isn't in any of the cards. Did she exist before you started writing the story? Did you create her as like a kind of foil for Kaito? Uh, what's her deal? She was always in, she was in there in the notes that I was given, but she had like a very small. It was sort of just like a reference to the fact that they were a brother and sister that were um, being raised um, together, and that they were following different paths, and that was sort of it. And then um, Kaito ended up training with uh, the Emperor, and then that whole kind of story went on. And I and I think I just gave. Um, Eiko more, I guess, uh, plot, because to me, I I felt like that was such a big thing to have your sibling who you're so close to, and you guys have these different ideals, and I just thought there should be more to that. I like the idea of, um, I'm a character writer, so Mm -hmm. I, when I get, like, notes for something, I really want to expand on, like, what are the emotions behind this? Like, Mm -hmm. what what makes them make these choices, and Mm -hmm. how do they respond to each other? And so I really wanted to kind of explore that um, sort of idea that, like, they love each other, but they have very, very different ideas of, you know, how they should... Uh, how the world should be really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think she became like sort of a bigger character because of that. Um, and I know, I know somebody on the team had mentioned they, they wished that they had had that before they had made the cards. Cause it would have mm-hmm. been nice to maybe give her a card, which would have been really cool. Um, but I did see her, I think, have you guys, or if you watched the, um, the anime trailer that they've made, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think that's her. If I'm understanding correctly, I think with the glasses, I think they have like a little scene with her in there, which was really really cool. <laughs> I I loved. Uh, did you say Eko? How did you pronounce her name? I'm sorry. I think it's Aiko, but I'm not. Yeah, my dad always gets. He corrects me if I say stuff wrong. So if I'm saying that wrong and he listens to this, I'm gonna get a text being like, "You're pronouncing stuff wrong." <laughs> Uh, I I loved Aiko. I thought that the sibling dynamic was very real in the sense that they are like diametrically op- opposed in a lot of ways, but you can you can see their like love for each other and the fact that I mean in the the origin story we get the scene where like Aiko tells Kaito like, "Oh, don't bring any weapons to this <laughs> meeting. Like you're not supposed to bring weapons." And then she pulls a knife. <laughs> just like that is I was like you can tell deep down inside they are definitely related. Uh, they are, they, yeah. they fight the way that siblings fight. Um and and that's great. Uh that is mm-hmm. like And sibling relationships are a big part of magic story and they have been since basically the beginning when we had, you know, the brothers war <laughs> with the two brothers. Oh, hold and, on. Yeah. That's <laughs> that set doesn't come out for a couple months yet, Chris. <laughs> I think I think it's hard pressed to say that Ursa and Misha have a relationship. No, well, you know what I mean. The the sibling, (laughs) siblings as an archetype throughout magic history. I mean, we've got Urza Mishra, we've got, you know, even more recently, Will and Rowan. Uh, And so it's, you know, it's cool to see siblings keep popping up in stories, especially when you have one that's plane bound and the other one who's a planeswalker. So, you know, they, they'll never, uh, they'll never be able to visit another plane together, but Kaito can always bring back something to let, uh, to let Echo know what's been going on. So I just think they're neat. (laughs) So, uh, one of the big things about the story is this one has a couple of pretty big reveals oh, did for it? magic fans. And yeah, just just a, just a small one. Just a couple small ones. Everyone was happy about what happened. Just a couple. Everyone was happy. Nothing bad happened whatsoever. Uh, but also, so there was this big reveal of Jingataxius on Kamigawa. Um, how did you approach uh, the voice for this villain um, and the first time we've like seen one of these guys in a long time, this this mechanical horror, especially because he's such a contrast to everything else going on in the set. 
How did you approach the Phyrexian element here? Yeah, so this was one of those things that I had no idea how big of a deal it was. <laughs> um, and, I'm, and I'm glad I didn't, like, because I, I would have panicked. I really, really would have. That's very um, funny. So I, I was just, yeah, so they just told me, you know, there's this big machine thing. Mm. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, and, and I had <laughs> written written the stuff in and they did give me a note on, um, I don't know if it was like a sentence from like a card or I don't know where they got it from, but it was a sentence that he had said somewhere else. And they were like, this is his speech pattern, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it had the word fleshling in there. So I just ran with that. I was like, that makes sense. And so to me, it was just like this very, like, almost like overly logical, mm-hmm. um, you know, like big words, like, um, no, like little emotion, that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, he's sort of just this big looming, scary monster. <laughs> I... uh, yeah, I think in, I think in the process there that after the first draft or something, I had actually gone back and pulled because he had he was one of the few praetors to actually appear in a story and have dialogue. Uh, so I went back to that comic and pulled that. So I think that note was was from me. Oh my god, he was, was, was okay. in that comic. Yeah, that was a very helpful note. <laughs> he was he was at the end of Dark Discoveries yeah. talking to Tezzeret. Yeah, that's so right. it was one of those things. Oh, where it was like, oh, right, this okay. is this works perfectly someone yeah. someone described his speech pattern as as if he talks like ben shapiro and i <laughs> i can't get that out of my head now especially since like they're both these like you know big looming cosmic evils so it like makes sense yeah <laughs> um uh no i i i love jin uh god jin Gitaxius's there we go uh speech patterns in the story i think it it the very distinctly alien in a world that was already technological and and i think that distinction is uh it's obviously like very very critical for the story that jinkataxis is not kamigawan and is invading and isn't supposed to be here except for his pants yeah, he's he's sure. definitely in disguise in his yeah <laughs> The, the pants made me laugh. I did not expect that when I saw that. I was like, "That is funny." Hello, how are you doing, fellow fleshlings? So should she draw like the little Groucho Marx fake glasses thing uh, on his card? Yeah, I feel. I feel like it's like a, a, a low effort disguise. Like he's like, I know it'll. I know it'll hide me. It's just this pair of pants. I mean, at least he's not indecent. You know, he he probably yeah. couldn't take his pants with him through the planar bridge, so he had to pick up some there. And he, you know, he's got good taste. I'll tell you that they look nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there were a couple of big reveals in this story, and and one of them is probably one of the biggest things that's happened in Magic Story in like several four years. Four years. Yep. Four At years. Four since years we, since we yeah. had an event where like something really drastic happened to a planeswalker. Yeah, and that was the uh, that was the completion of Tamio and her her abduction by by the Phyrexians. Um, we, we know that that decision was made before the story was written, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were sort of handed this goal or this task of writing the completion of Tamio. How did this sort of influence your writing uh, and like how you portrayed the character in the story and how you like got to that that really, you know, emotional end for for this character? Yeah, I, I think to be honest with you, I was more emotional after um, when people started reading it and I realized how upset they were because again, I didn't know I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> I was just I think I think in my head, I thought I thought it was just something that she could come back. for. I didn't realize it was so final to so many people. And so then I was like, oh, no, like, did I write something horrible by accident? But 
Uh, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> As uh, Chris was, was asking this question, I was like, this is probably one of those situations where it's really good that you weren't like super involved with with magic story and, and community and, and fan base up until yeah, now. It would have hurt me so much to write. Yeah, <laughs> it hurt me yeah. as someone who it, it is. Ah. <laughs> ah. yeah yeah so it brings like a whole new level to it because obviously she's got a family not to make everybody sad but she's got this family and it's horrible um but yeah i sort of just saw it as like sort of this adventurous next step mm-hmm. of like oh i wonder how this is going to play out and like what's mm-hmm. going to happen and i mean i i don't know i don't know uh you know the future of of her character um i just didn't realize like what it was going to mean because I, I think a lot of people were kind of grieving grieving her character and i was like i <laughs> I didn't know that was coming. So, um, yeah, it's a yeah. sad moment, but I, I think it opens up a lot for, for the future, which is really exciting. Um, I mean, I'm really invested in how the story like goes from here and what's going to happen next. Um, so I guess on that side of things, it's nice to open up more possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think some people are pretty uh, passionate about um, what happened. <laughs> uh, so that actually leads into a, a good question about uh, what do you get from Wizards of the Coast, or what did you get from Wizards of the Coast about um, creating uh, for for creating the story essentially? Uh, because I think this time around it was a little different than it's been in the past, uh, where I don't recall if there were story spotlights yet when we were working on this. So what what did they give you? What did you get? You mean to write the story when you first yeah, started? Like, when like you first in started terms of an outline, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I've completely lost. Let me restate the whole well, question. Traditionally, Jay, in a capitalist society, you get money. What did you? I thought <laughs> you were asking if they gave me cards. I thought that's what the question was no, going to be. No, like, no, no. What did you get for the cards? I no, like, I meant money. like so in terms of plotting out the story. Like, how much did you get? I think that's something fans might be interested in. Uh, did you get like? Some bu- a few bullet points. Did you get like solid touchstones that these events have to happen? Did you, what 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 was the what was like the documentation? What was the briefing process before you went to work writing? Right. Okay. Yeah. It was like a I think it was a, a roughly one page word document, um, and it was just it was mostly bullet points. Um, well, it was bullet points, and it was just um, kind of the five episodes broken down with just like a few bullet points of what what needed to happen. It might have been two pages. I can't remember for sure, but it was. Um, so I think most of the points, to be honest with you, just revolved around the story spotlight. So this the cards mm-hmm. that because um, I think the art was already planned or already created. I'm not sure, um, but they knew that those were like the beats that had to be hit, kind of thing. So um, yeah, so I I knew uh, you know roughly you know that Kaito and his sister were going to be raised you know at the palace that you know um, Tezzeret was going to show up and the Emperor was going to go missing. Like there was all these different. I don't know if I'm allowed to spoil stuff too much, but anyways, uh, yeah um, yeah. So kind of like the main things, and then they sort of just let me run uh with the personalities and sort of like how to get from a to b to c um in between um yeah and i know a few things changed because we kind of went back and forth with stuff and i know that there was like a few ideas that um once i started writing kind of like switched a little bit but yeah you can you can talk uh, so all the stories are out you you can talk about anything having to do with the plot i think at this point so the uh the next follow-up is was the very last bullet point rip everyone's heart out like verbatim <laughs> on there yeah the last bullet point was the was the epilogue basically um and i think i think originally i, I don't know how much i'm allowed to they didn't say i wasn't allowed to say like what might have happened before so i think that's okay is that okay i don't know uh, 
I don't know. I'm just asking. Let's err on the side of caution for this one. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to get in trouble with Blake and. As the as the one person on this podcast who doesn't get money from Wizards of the Coast in any respect and is saying nothing, you can tell me anything you want. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nothing spoilery. It was just sort of yeah. I, I won't say it just in case, but it was just um, kind of like what the story was before and and what it shifted to after, kind of thing um, to change the uh, kind of way it, way it went. But um, nothing major, nothing major. But okay, uh, so we have um, well, we have one. <laughs> live listener question so uh let's bring that one up uh live listen oh wait no we have two uh the first one is can we get uh himato one shot uh i i I don't think she has control over that (laughs) although Um, if if i can ask a a question related to that it is because you also did get to write these two side stories uh for for kaito's origin which are which are they're sort of like part of the narrative of the uh the whole overarching story but uh you know the way they were published was, was separate and stuff and, and and so uh can you talk a little bit about like like how that happened where you got to kind of write this extra content or, or was that part of like the original briefs no that so they they brought me on for that um after after i finished the first uh kind of five well some sometime in between when i was writing the first five um episodes i think i think originally they were going to pick a different author i feel like that was what was planned and i don't know what happened but they ended up asking if i wanted to do it which was really cool because i obviously love writing about kaito um and yeah, they, that those two episodes, I had a little bit more freedom as well, because there was some options of, of whether they wanted it to be two episodes for the origin story or whether they wanted um, two separate kind of stories to go with it. And But again, I really like writing about characters and I just feel like I like having more room to explore their kind of motives and like how they're feeling. I, li- I like that stuff. So um, so yeah, we went, we went with the two. Um, and yeah, that was, I think that one was supposed to be like a little bit lighter. It was supposed to be like, you know, his planeswalking origin story, but um a little bit more fun not not so much uh i mean there's still fighting in it but not as much <laughs> oh, as like the yeah, other stuff. but it's not like yeah. evil robot empire is turning our heroes exactly. and villains type heaviness yeah yeah stakes are slightly lower <laughs> <laughs> those ended up being everyone's introduction to these characters as well so the, yeah. the story we first meet uh kaito doing um like he's he's being a pickpocket at a festival or something uh and he's working mm-hmm. for the umazawa uh Hyozen reckoners so it's it's interesting yeah and that that was a cool group to write too because they got to have like so many different they gave me like a lot of freedom to kind of like explore with like the poisonous fingernails and stuff like that it was just very fun so <laughs> yeah we don't get a ton of uh look at the reckoner gangs and any of the stories so it was mm-hmm. nice uh being able to get them in there as well especially um uh satoru umazawa who is like like this is the fourth umazawa character this is kind of like a legacy character we've had for a while although mm-hmm. it he's he's a funny one because it's like we don't actually know if he's really related to the others or if he's just taking the name for street cred and no one's questioning it <laughs> uh but you you wrote the whole gang very well i i enjoyed reading through it i'm like oh this is this is great there was a mean lady oh, in there you. so i appreciated it <laughs> I, mean, like, I think there was a couple of mean ones too but yeah, yeah. Uh, you're probably just oh go ahead no i was gonna say you probably met the fingernail one i think she's the worst but. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember who's good content that's all i know <laughs> yeah thank you uh so we've got another question here what was the process behind the references to original kamigawa block uh I don't know if that's a better question for me. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I was about so, to say, I mean, Jay, isn't that literally your job? 
<laughs> for, no, for like, context uh, uh, for the listeners, there's a couple of scenes in the main story, and I think also the origin story, where we bring in references, like direct references to the original Kamigawa block. There's a uh, the blue moon mochi in the very first story, and then there's uh, I believe the the stones and the Iganjo Garden are a reference to uh, the previous. Um, Kanda, Lord Kanda. So there's there's a few like direct references that I don't know how familiar you would be with them if you weren't familiar with this 18-year-old setting. So uh I don't know exactly how they deliver the notes to you, Akemi. Um, but in general, we get like, you know, there's like a collaborative editing process. And one of my jobs is to like kind of sprinkle that stuff in if it's not there already. So I think you had the idea for the mochi already. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. So the villain, and I just type in my little note. So the villain of the last one was a little blue kami named Mochi. So it'd be cute if these were like little blue mochis or something like that. And, you know, you put it in. It worked out nice. Uh, I think a lot of people liked those. So oh, we, we, we already established earlier on the show that Mochi is delicious. Yes. <laughs> it is so good. So the funny thing about uh, Kanda being shattered I think the suggestion was for like, you had like a rock garden mm-hmm. in there as well. And I, I I think I was like, oh, maybe we could put it, we could slide in another. I wasn't sure how many of these references we we're going to get away with. So I was like, I was suggesting a couple. I did not realize at the time they had this saga that depicted the same thing with a little cracked statue uh, as well. So it ended up working out perfectly, but you know, we didn't know any of that in advance. <laughs> Uh, so see, cool. we, so we mentioned um, mochi being delicious, and you you mentioned earlier that your uh, I think you said your father would correct your pronunciation of Iko or or Iko's name. Um, this set is like a love letter to like even though it's a fantasy setting, it is it is largely pulling on Japanese cultural elements. So can you mm-hmm. talk about like a little bit of that work that went into it and like bringing in these like Japanese cultural feels into this fantasy setting? I think, um, I mean, I think everybody on the team was um, trying to uh, kind of include stuff in and have discussions and everything with as much, you know, care and sensitivity and thoughtfulness as they could, which was um, really great. It was a nice kind of environment to sit in where mm-hmm. everybody was sort of trying to make sure that we were all, you know, on the same page and being, you know, careful about everything. Um, I kind of just went into it writing from sort of like what I knew and how I grew up because my, my dad is 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 Japanese American and um you know we were raised obviously in a household that was um you know not gonna be like necessarily everybody else's experience all over the world, but it was like ours, so that's how I my Asianness is is reflected mm-hmm. the way that I write it. Um but we also had um you know cultural uh, sensitivity readers who who went through and um kind of read it and like pointed out anything that was like a little bit um you know if they had any notes for anything to just try to make sure that we were being you know thoughtful about everything. Um but yeah I think it I think a lot of my love of the sort of media stuff um i mean obviously i grew up watching studio ghibli of course um and so that was like a big i mean my icon over here is literally totoro dressed in, as batman <laughs> so it's, uh, i don't know if you can see that from that far away but he's got like nightwing and um robin like on his belly excellent <laughs> oh my god and, yeah. uh, so yeah so i think there's like inspiration that came from like the the media that i grew up with um uh probably the snack thing came into that too because i feel like who doesn't love a character that snacks? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so speaking of which, of the same kind of thing, uh, what, how, how did you decide, like, what kind of Japanese pop culture references to include? Are there any Easter eggs in there? 
Uh, this is another live listener question. All right. Yeah. Um, I don't I, like, I didn't, I think I was doing anything sort of intentionally specific to be an Easter egg. Um, it was sort of just writing it as um, like, to be honest with you, I think I m- approached this more as just um, telling a story and, and, you know, I kind of studied this world so much in the guide of, of, you know, what they wanted it to represent and, you know, the kind of vibe that they were going for and kind of just went into it as I'm telling the story about, you know, these, these cool characters that they've created and try to get them from point A to point B, um, you know, as, as fun of a way as possible um, while including things that I'm familiar with. Um, so whether it's the foods or, um, you know, like the, the weapons or the, the clothing, you know, there's, I think, stylistic things that you include that felt a little bit familiar. Um, but yeah, I don't think anything specifically like an Easter egg, I wouldn't say. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know does... if that's uh, answered. <laughs> oh, it's fine. <laughs> but, yeah. What? Well, so we, we've talked a lot about Kaito and a little bit about Tamiyo and Jingataxius, but uh, this is this is also the set that it was revealed that the Wanderer is the Emperor of Kamigawa, which, <laughs> like, is, yeah. like, as I think literally the first person to write anything about the Wanderer publicly, right? I, th- I think so, yeah. I think so. <laughs> the, the Wanderer technically was in the, oh, the was War in of the Spark Saken novel. For a little bit, yeah. But she, like... yeah. That was very surface, but 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 like this is this is we just got so much from her. She's so good. She's great. I love her. She oh, actually, good. yeah. Here's a great question. Uh, can you talk a little bit about developing the relationship between the Wanderer and Kaito, where like they they are just they're so good together, and they like pick up again right away. And like we we're talking about earlier, uh, Kaito's like a little overconfident, you know. Uh, and then the wanderer is like actually super confident, and the dynamic that plays in there between oh, them. There's, yeah, yeah. Th- there's a there's a good line I wrote for Arena where she goes, "I'm not overconfident. You're just underwhelming," <laughs> and that's like <laughs> her whole vibe. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think their their dynamic they are like different in that aspect. Um, I think one of the lines that like I really or the scenes that like I really liked writing because I felt like it represented them so much was um, that scene after uh, she comes in and, and cleaves uh, Jin Kataxias in half, mm-hmm. and she goes to Kaito, who's sort of still out of it because um, you know of, of what they're doing to him, and he sort of like reaches, he, like he's kind of delirious and not really and he's reaching for like a sword that's not there he's like i've got this and he's like you know half like stumbling over and like and she basically is like i just felt like it was such a funny representation of like how they actually are Uh is that he is so so silly and and overconfident and she's just like no it's like i've got this i'm fine she's too cool for that (laughs) she's very cool yeah yeah i loved the i loved her characterization in the story so much and her relationship with kaito um, they are currently my phone background, just a fan art of Kaito oh, and the Wanderer. Uh, just lovely dynamic there. I, I love these characters. I want to see more of them. And that kind of, that yeah. brings me to a question that every time like we have an author who writes a magic story, I always want to know, like, if you were given blank slate, you could just write any magic story you want about any character. What would you do next? Oh my gosh, that would be really cool. Uh, I, I mean, I I loved writing Kaiser so much, but I almost would want to write more of the Wanderer. I'd want to maybe um, figure out what she's up to next. That would be that would be really fun. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It would it would be cool to see them like on a different plane too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know somewhere where like he can be overconfident. Somewhere where he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be fun. 
Yeah, I would I would love to see Kaito uh, manage himself on a plane like, you know, Zendikar or somewhere where there's just not a lot of technology and he's he's having to survive as a as a like techno ninja in a yeah. world where the <laughs> most advanced technology is a rock. Yeah. yeah, just totally out of his element. <laughs> I mean, he's very good with a rock. We've learned that. Yeah. yeah. I just have this mental image now of of uh kaito distraught on his knees in the middle of the jungles of zendikar crying because he has no cell service (laughs) (laughs) his spark broke down and he can't call triple (laughs) a that's good uh so akemi do you have anything else you'd want to talk about in regards to the story i know it's a little late for you so uh what is after eight o'clock there now yeah it's fine oh it's fine yeah 8 40 but it's totally fine uh is there anything you want to bring up that maybe we haven't talked about already or is there any of your other work you'd like to plug um Um, please go for it i feel like i'm supposed to say (laughs) like the the inner part of me is like nah it's fine it's no (laughs) let's talk about something fun Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I probably should mention that I've got, um, uh, the sequel to my sci-fi series is coming out in less than two months, um, called the Genesis Wars. So I guess I should plug that there. It's been plugged. <laughs> we can go back to talking about other stuff. <laughs> I'm so bad at self-promotion. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, what's, what's the Genesis like, Wars about? Tell us. Uh, so the Infinity Court series is about a girl who is tragically murdered and she wakes up in the afterlife and finds out it's been taken over by an artificial intelligence um, <laughs> posing as a queen, which is sort of like an evil Siri. <laughs> and, nice. Um, okay. Yeah, so she's trying to save humanity in the afterlife, basically. So basically just Siri. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a horror story of why you should always say please and thank you to your AI. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is one thing we've always been so worried about like we can't have a siri in my house because the way my son talks to it will start a robot revolution oh no (laughs) not not only will start it but you'll be the first household flattened under under the foot of of the robotic (laughs) legions yeah my uh so my parents have one that they'll say siri do this you know siri oh siri do this and my son archon will just be like siri play me paw patrol siri <laughs> like Arjun, can, oh just, just tone down like tone, tone down the volume a little bit a little bit a little bit yeah. a little nicer to siri before she you know turns on doomsday and activates skynet and all that good stuff right that is so funny my my five-year-old's like the opposite he basically sits there I'll, I'll hear him sometimes in the room and he's just sitting there and he's like um he's like hey siri what does your house look like and he's like i love you <laughs> like just saying all these <laughs> nice compliments <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. well i do want to say my 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 six so i have a six-year-old uh he is yeah. usually very oh, so very like, nice but yeah. to the uh yeah to to the siri like i guess it doesn't understand him because his voice is too cute sometimes oh, so he just got yes. to the point he just got to the point where he's like yelling at it <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like they get used to like different accents too don't they because like obviously like the people in my house everybody's got a different accent to me and i feel like it never understands me i'm always like the last one to get through (laughs) so i have to like put on a fake british accent to try to get them to listen to me yeah that would be the other problem with my house because between my family and then the in-laws there's some very thick uh indian accents in the house and yeah. they just be like, like, especially trying to use TV to pick a channel. Like it never, it, like it gets used to one of us. And then like when the other one tries to pick a channel, we'll just be like, CNN. I'm sorry. I didn't recognize that. CNN. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, perhaps, machine learning is bad, actually. Well, we definitely shouldn't have it learned from my six-year-old. That's, that much, at least, is true. What do you mean? This, this machine told me that this uh, innocuous pile of oil is actually perfectly safe and I should touch it. You should. You should absolutely. <laughs> Chris, I got a question oil. for you. Yes. I have a pile of oil. I, I don't know. It's very thick and it's glistening. Okay, I I do have to say just very quickly. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it. Can we just can we just get a group agreement that Tezzeret is a jerk and sucks? He's the oh, worst. Yeah, he sucks. He sucks so bad. Oh yeah. What? He sucks so bad. I, I, are you a person who likes writing villains? No, no, not usually. Um, only if they have like that really quippy, funny dialogue okay. that it's kind of fun to just be able to <laughs> like yeah. let let loose and be a jerk. Because like in real life, I would never. I'd be so terrified <laughs> of upsetting anybody. Like honestly, <laughs> so um, so yeah, that's kind of like a an, an outlet, I guess. But uh-huh. um, no, I I tend to be. I I root for the good guys. I do like yeah. If you if you're if you've got like a moral compass and you're trying to do the right thing, even if you're messy, like I support you. <laughs> important live listen question is tezzeret a crypto bro absolutely thank you chris you typed absolutely in all caps 100 <laughs> percent i mean he's already invested heavily in ethereum come on guy come on come on <laughs> is that is that the villain thing is the crypto stuff i don't uh, understand i'll be honest with you i don't understand i'm so confused by everything the one thing i tried to read about crypto brought me to some like monkey or like gorilla ape <laughs> I don't know what I was reading, so I just gave up. Uh, it, it, it's a money, it's a, it's a money laundering pyramid scheme, uh, is what it is. Okay, uh, and um, yeah, and yeah. there are a whole lot of people believe it's the future of humanity, and they're 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 the ones who are helping. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. It's a okay. Whole yeah, it's just a. I feel like the few times that I've tried to look into it, I've just get like one was about the servers being bad for the environment, and then one was the gorillas, and I was like, I don't. Oh, I don't is. understand what it is. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about. Apes, crypto. I'm not apes, getting yeah. into any of we're gonna, this. We're gonna yeah. get. We're gonna get. We're gonna make some uh, so many angry. I, I don't know. I feel like. The, oh, do people get heated about that? The, oh, no. the Venn Sorry. diagram of people who like crypto stuff and listen to our podcast is two separate circles. So <laughs> at least I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today, Akemi. Uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your day for this. Uh, it was fun. We always like to get uh, like to chat with the authors themselves, and I like to do it because like I've been leaving, I've left little comments for you, but like half the time they just get amalgamated into like a document to get. So I like talking to the authors themselves because there's always like a like a step in between um, whenever I'm working with it with an author. Yeah, oh, it was really fun talking to all of you. Yeah, and and, and thanks again for your work on these stories. We loved them. We had a we had a great time reading them and talking about them in um, a couple of the episodes uh, previous uh, to this one and uh, I just love everything about all the characters in these stories and how they relate to each other and and just you yeah, yeah, crushed it. Like I I oh, love these stories you. so much um and uh and yeah thank thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for inviting me if uh if any of our listeners were a little lost we have episodes from the past like four weeks that cover the entire main story and also both of the origin stories so go listen to those we we already talked about them (laughs) (laughs) uh lorelei why don't you do the patreon plug and then we'll we'll call it i don't know why these segues are always so annoying because my brain is like crypto segue but that's awful and cursed um if you have real (laughs) u.s dollar i guess they don't need to be u.s dollars do they i don't know how patreon works without u.s anyway (laughs) 
this is the problem with this part of the uh we have a wonderful discord uh community full of warthouses from around the world and uh if you want uh to hang out with a bunch of your pals and enjoy magic story and uh just have a blast and then maybe you know live listen to podcast recordings you can head over to patreon.com slash the vorthos cast and start supporting us today everyone uh everyone who supports at any level gets access to discord and then we do have an additional tier um to to do live lessons we uh this is a weird week to plug the uh we usually record at um thursday at 7 p.m eastern uh because we're recording a little early this week for for scheduling purposes but uh yeah uh thursday nights at 7 p.m eastern is when we usually record our podcast so if that is a time slot you have open and you would like to join us and get to hear banter before the show and chatter after the show and and listen to to all the little moments that chris is gonna edit out uh <laughs> and and get all that good stuff um there's a tier for that too and and we thank everybody who supports us on patreon y'all keep the show running it is got you know i guess i should say quickly before we leave the episode this is officially right our four-year anniversary oh anniversary officially. oh god yeah uh so, i think so officially four <laughs> gd years uh, we've been so the secret of success is um, have nothing better to do on one night a week. <laughs> yeah, the problem is the secret of success is don't have responsibilities uh, or get enough people whose responsibilities don't overlap so that you can always keep a show going regardless. So the secret of success is getting a Chris is what you're saying. Also, Chris, yes, Chris. Chris has been doing a lot of the heavy lifting for us the last uh, the last few months and last year, especially. Oh man! And thank you, all listeners. You know, if you want if you want Chris to get paid, visit our Patreon. Anyway, wait, wait, wait we're getting paid. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast. <laughs>